We're thrilled to be joined by Julian Waits, SVP of Business Development and Strategic Alliances at Rabbit7. Julian is the perfect guest for our podcast because not only has extensive experience in cybersecurity, he is also the driving force in an effort to bring more diverse people into the industry. Julian is another person who I consider a longtime friend, and I'm super excited to have him on the show today. Welcome, Julian. How are you today? Gene, I am doing absolutely great. And uh, I also consider you a longtime friend and I'm honored to uh, participate in your podcast. Oh, fantastic. And uh, glad uh, you and your, your wife made it out the other side of the, the big hurricane down there. I know a lot, of, a lot of damage down there, but I'm glad you and your family are fine. Thank God. Yeah, absolutely. Thank God. Uh, so let's jump into it. Let's talk a little bit about your background. First, uh, you're not the first person we've talked to who has a musical background and ended up in cybersecurity. So what's a little bit about your journey and how does one go from a musician to uh, a career in cybersecurity? Uh, that's an interesting question and a very interesting story. So as you know, a little bit about my background, you know, I'm originally from New Orleans, uh, son of a Baptist minister. And so my musical background actually started in church. I started playing uh, saxophone when I was five or six years old and then picked up piano later in nine or 10 years old. So saxophone is the thing that stuck. And most of my life, I thought I was going to grow up to become a professional jazz musician. So that's how the music thing came into play. Well, you were definitely in the right uh, area of the country to be able to to try to attempt that. And and then how does one go from saxophone to uh, executive uh, for many great companies, you know, helping drive sales and business development? So that's an even more interesting story. So, you know, when you're playing any instrument and you want to be a professional, the one key ingredient that you have to do, meaning the hustle for music is how much are you going to practice? And it wasn't until one of my children was diagnosed with attention deficit hyperactivity disorder or ADHD that I learned what it was in my 40s. But obviously, I was born with uh, ADHD. And so on a good day, maybe I can get in two hours of practice just to give you an example of what a professional would do or forget professional, serious musician. When you're not gigging, you're probably practicing six to eight hours a day. Wow. And I just couldn't put in the time. And so yeah. natural talent could only get you so far. Then you've got to do the work. And so in my early 20s, I got married. You know, all of a sudden I was going to have the responsibility eventually of having a full family. It was just me and my wife for the first few years. And I started wondering, hey, what am I going to do to put food on the table and provide for my family? And this now is the late 80s. And it's right when personal computers started to take off and computer networks. And I decided that was something I was very interested in. I was always interested in tech. And so I went into taking a couple of computer science classes in college, looking for mentors and others who were in the industry already who would impart their knowledge to me and share with me. And that turned into a career, which started as a, you know, I would call it a lightweight coder who was a networking expert. Mm. And I think like many people in this industry that I've talked to and mentored over the years, you know, getting into cybersecurity as an industry has only become a thing in the last seven to eight years. I mean, right. Universities yeah. have only started covering as a, as a thing that a discipline to learn, certainly within that same time period. And so like most people, probably like yourself, I kind of fell into it, you know? Yes. I'm doing computer networking and working on personal computers. 
the advent of distributed databases come out. It's not all on this mainframe where it was a lot easier to protect where I had a castle and a moat. Now the moat's all over the place and the wall's got a whole bunch of holes in it. And oh my God, these attackers, they're no longer doing it to make fun of me. They're actually taking money and using people's information to do really bad things. And in my case, and you know, the people said sometimes it's better to be lucky than good. I'm lucky to be old enough <laughs> to be there when it all started. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, I, you were, you were very close in age. So similar story. And uh, for me, uh, just less technical. So I, I came out of uh, university with a degree in marketing, and then I eventually got my MBA. So, but a traditional business degree. But I think it does represent the opportunity for people that that are technical and want to make some serious money, which is to go into the sales field. And uh, I know you've had a, a long career in both business development and sales and. Most of our guests have been more of the CISO or executives and product management. So just wondering kind of what we can impart on people as to why one wants to get into cybersecurity sales. Yeah, so I think it, for me, it, it goes back all the way to the beginning, right? The part I left out is I was also being raised and groomed to be a Baptist minister. And so this concept of protecting and helping has always been a part of the DNA that my parents put inside of me. And so as I as I started my computer career, that never changed, right? And so now I'm doing, you know, initially it was information assurance, then there was information security, then it was data security, and eventually somehow cyber went from being a cool punk word for anything that was digital to talking about security stuff with a whole bunch of military words, you know, tacked on it, cyber attack or all this other stuff. But it still came back to I want to protect, serve, and help. And with my ADHD, being a computer programmer wasn't going to work out, right? Mm -hmm. Sitting in front of a scare screen, looking, thinking about code, mashing numbers all the time wasn't there. And I absolutely love people. And so in my case, one of my early managers in my career, I think when I worked for BMC Software in Houston, came to me one day and said, hey, Julian, it's pretty obvious to me you're not really jazzed about coding. Have you ever thought about working as a technical guy in the sales organization? I think you would be great at that. And I went, really? He says, yeah, you should go meet with the sales team. I actually set up a meeting for you. I want you to go talk to them. I sat down with the sales folks. I started operating you know, in the early days as a pre-sales engineer. And then very quickly, that turned into more strategic event where BMC ultimately allowed me to be the first business development person they ever had. Mm. And it's still primarily sales, right? Um, yes. I tell everybody the first rule of BD is understanding where the intrinsic value is for all parties involved right. when derived from what the customer is trying to get. And the second rule is it's always great if the person on the other side of the table likes you. Yes. And so having a, a technical acumen in the background combined with a gift of gab and a strategic overview of what I'm really trying to provide to my customer in the market was the great genesis for me to start in a career of business development. And then business development ultimately led to sales because, you know, I started doing buy-side M&A also while I was at BMC. Yeah. And, you know, through that process, I learned that, you know, I, I always thought it was magical how people did these startups. How these guys and gals come up with these ideas and how do they go raise money? It seems so difficult, so hard, so mystical, you know, it's almost like a fantasy book. And then when I started helping to acquire these companies, I realized over and over again, it was kind of like this three or four sets of things that you needed to do 
other than having a passion for what you were doing and solving a problem that really led to successful startups and led to successful exits. And I decided one day I wanted to be on the other side and I wanted to be down to entrepreneur starting the company. I wanted to be the one working on those new ideals that hopefully will change the world and make everybody's lives better. And so once I became a startup CEO, I still say this, especially for very small companies, the best salesperson in the company better be the CEO. Gotta be, absolutely. <laughs> and, and so so unlike the traditional path of going into sales and sales management, you know, ultimately chief revenue officer, for me, it was the progression of going from someone who was influencing startups to come my way, you know, hey, I can buy your company and make this a much bigger thing if you come into this framework. All of a sudden, I'm the guy on the other side of the table trying to influence and convince the other people this is the greatest thing ever. And again, having a great gift of gab with a love of people and a strong desire to solve problems. And initially, it was a little rocky, but ultimately, it led to a number of successes. Absolutely. They always are rocky, right? But uh, <laughs> I think you know, for those you know, that are either non-technical or technical and not happy in a technical field, the areas of business development where you're building partnerships for organizations or sales is a great outlet. You and I both share the same uh, ability to focus for short periods of time. Uh, so uh, that's why we are where we are. But it's uh, I think we both met in business development roles, except in the company you were in at the time, I think uh, briefly looking at a potential board seat when right. you and I first met. Exactly. But, but you were doing Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. So let's change uh, topics just a little bit. And uh, can you tell our listeners about Cyversity? I know you're a co-founder and the chairman of this very special organization that's driving diversity within the cybersecurity industry. Yeah. So Cyversity is, it is my passion. It was born out of out of something very simple. You know, if you're in the security industry, we all know the largest show every year is RSA typically in San Francisco. Actually, since I've been going on RSA, I think it's only moved once. And, you know, me and several other friends, one of happens to be the CEO of Rapid7, Corey Thomas, you know, we go to RSA and we look at each other. And the first question is, why aren't there more people of color and more women attending this conference? I mean, it's like the 20,000 white guys. And people, people look like me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so that raised a bigger question of, why isn't there more awareness in underserved communities about cybersecurity? As you and I both know, regardless to what you believe the actual number is, there's at least, certainly in North America alone, over a million cyber or cyber-related openings right now. Most organizations can't hire and keep cyber talent long enough, so they need supplemental services and products like we all provide. It only made sense that we went to a new market, a new set of people where we opened up a horizon to them to come into the cyber fight. But, you know, the greatest thing about it is the jobs also pay fairly well, even at the lower level. And so Cyversity was born out of a need and a desire to go to underserved communities, people, you know, Latinos, African-American, whatever it is, and females and encourage them and give them an awareness and the training that they needed to enter the field of cybersecurity in a great way. Oh, that's fantastic. And uh, love the mission. We're going to talk some more uh, over the next couple of weeks as we launch ThreatX Academy to help potentially you know, diversity as an organization. But it's definitely a huge need when you've got 
I just said at least a million jobs in the U.S., three and a half million jobs worldwide. We still have CISOs and people like myself that put job descriptions that have, you know, you got to be a purple squirrel to get some of these jobs. We've got to <laughs> really, it's we gotta, true. we got to change our mantra. I mean, we've had as a guest, one of our employees who was a hairstylist for over 10, 12 years and decided to make an industry change. And she's a rock star. We love having her on the team. She's awesome. Our customers love her. And uh, she was very outside the box of a traditional type of person that that I would have hired early in my career. So, you know, thank you for starting Cyversity and Corey and the rest of the people that are a part of the organization driving it. It's definitely a, a mission-driven organization that has a big need. It was actually the guy who, who hatched the idea was Devin Bryan, who's the CISO of Carnival right now. But it's interesting. I have two interesting stories for you. So one on the purple squirrel and to show you how even people like myself of uh, African descent can be a part of the problem. I, you know, at one point in time, when I first moved here to Florida, I was the CEO of a company, Track. we had over 500 employees with 300 in North America, just over 300. And I would talk diversity in every, you know, quarterly company thing I would do. And one of my drinking buddies, who also was uh, was an employee in the company, his name is Gil. And if you ever met Gil, it's funny. He's you know he's from uh, North Carolina. He has a very strong Southern drawl. So when you see him, the first picture you get, especially if you're a black person from the South, is hey, this guy's probably not going to like me very much. Mm. And then the first time we got together and broke bread together, I mean, he's become one of my you know strongest lifelong friends. And one night we were having pizza together and he says, hey, Julian, let me talk to you about something. And I go, sure, what? What is it, Gil? He says, you know, and I'm going to say it just like he said it. So it comes out. He says, you know, you talk black and diverse, but man, you buy white. And I go, what are you talking about? And he says, well, look at our hiring practices. And it goes to the point that you just made, Gene, like everything we had was five years experience, 10 years experience. You right. went to this type of school. You graduated with this type of degree. You did this type of thing. He says, when you look at your career, you're the most non-standard, you know, CEO anybody would ever meet, blah, 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 blah. And I went back, that was a Friday night. I went back that Monday with my head of people, Debbie, and I said, look, I have to apologize to you. I've actually put you in a fight with a mission to go and get stuff done because we weren't meeting our, our diversity numbers. We weren't even coming close. So I put you in a fight with one arm, arm tied behind your back. Right, right. I'd like to talk about our recruiting habits. And then what I did is I called some other CEO friends of mine. And the funny story is they were all white. <laughs> <laughs> I called three and they were all white. When I told them about what was going on, like, oh, Julian, that's horrible. That's not the way you do diversity hiring. Here's three white guys telling me how to do it, right? <laughs> and, and so Debbie and I, we changed some things. We made sure we it became a part of our culture. I said it over and over again, rehearsed it through the management team. And while we never met our actual objective, we started coming close. But it wasn't until we started thinking of alternative ways of recruiting people and doing talent acquisition. So that was funny. And I think I shared this with you before in the past. One of the stories in Cyversity that almost brings me to tears every time is, is one time it was Corey and I speaking at Black Hat on diversity and it was the early days of diversity coming to cybersecurity. So it wasn't the most well attended session at Black Hat, but there was still, you know, a good hundred people in a room that could have held like five hundred people. 
And this one woman is in the room. Her name is Marilyn, and she was an army nurse working in a hospital as a nurse. She told us she was going to be a cybersecurity. And she's now like director of cybersecurity at that same hospital. Yeah. And she joined Cyversity, went through our program. You know, you've met people like Ed Adams. Yeah. She went through some of the programs. Yeah. Yeah. She went through some of the programs of security innovations. She got some certifications under that and that same hospital. And this is the way it happens a lot. There's got to be the special person that's willing to give you this opportunity. The director of IT and security at the hospital said, you know what? Let's go see what happens. And the next thing you know, her whole career has changed. And that's wonderful. You know, she couldn't be happier. So yeah. to your point. That's a great story. Absolutely. I love that. And uh, our ability to give back is no more than our time. And it's well exactly. worth it. Well worth it. So you're currently at Rapid7, and you mentioned to us the Emerging Talent Program. Can you talk a little bit about that at Rapid7? Yeah, sure. Emerging Talent. So, you know, I opened the office here in Tampa for Rapid7, talking to COO Andrew and Corey. The company had a vision for having another hub office. A hub for us just means, you know, anybody can report anywhere. It's not like there's positions that are specific to the Tampa location. But the whole goal was, they said, hey, we want to make this a calling center, not calling for the sense of calling, but one of those places where we identify and demonstrate all the things that Rapid7 is about and diversity is at the top of the list and being able to hire people new in their careers at the top of the list. And so for us, emerging talent is think of it as people who are early in their career, either they're just graduating from college or maybe they've had one or two jobs prior to coming here where they're still, call it, 21 to 30 years old. And the whole goal was to basically have 20% or more of this office where the people were fit the DEI uh, objectives and specifically came through emerging talent channels. Now, what makes us different than a lot of organizations is we don't just look at emerging talent by age. We also look at it by discipline. So for instance, we put veterans in our emerging talent program. So right now we're our target for this year was 100 people. We're ahead of all of our numbers, and we have like seven veterans. That's out of that, yeah. Because yeah. well, you know, here in Tampa, we have SOCOM, which is a large joint base for special operations forces, and so you know, captains and lieutenants are generally in that age range. They decide that they're going to leave the services earlier than going through retirement, and they're looking for. What's that next gig that they're going to have, that next mission they're going to be on that goes beyond uh, what they're doing in the military and now they're serving in civilian fashion. And again, because these people are trained to serve and protect, you know, our country, they're looking for things that give them greater worth than just a nine to five. What can I do where I can make a real difference in the world? And of course, as you know, because you live the fight as well, cybersecurity is one of those industries it's, yes. it's where purpose is built into everything you do just because yes. of what you do. No, absolutely. And I think Rapid7 always continues to innovate, not only in unbelievable products, but in process and people. And uh, like you, I, I've got to know Corey uh, Thomas, the, the CEO for a long period of time and uh, absolutely uh, just a rock star company. So for our listeners, I'd put this uh, as one of the gold standards of companies you want to aspire to join because it is a fantastic culture, great products and great people like like Julian and Corey, uh, their CEO. So uh, last question, and you've already mentioned this multiple times because I know it's uh, through and through. You've had some great mentors and you've been a great mentoree to many people. 
And maybe you could just talk about how does one develop a mentor to help them in their careers? So early on, well, first of all, before you go and get a mentor, like, you know, I had a bunch of people come to me, hey, Mr. Waits, I want to make a lot of money one day. Will you please be my mentor? And, and, <laughs> and then I'm like, huh, what? <laughs> go play so, the lottery, kid. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So the first thing is to figure out what your passion is. What do you really want to do? And then make it more specific to cybersecurity. Then what you want to do is, you know, if possible, attend some trade shows, go to local events with security organizations like ISACO or attend the SAMS event and meet some people. And as you begin to meet people and what you hear on stage or what you hear in a session that you go to or, or even a class, if it resonates with you, then reach out to those people while you're there with them. Go shake their hand. Look them in the face. Dear sir or madam, I really appreciate what you have to say. I know you're very busy, but I'd love the ability to be able to talk to you from time to time and receive some mentorship from you. Other ways to do it is, I mean, I was crazy, right? So I would call people who absolutely had never met me before. You know, one of the great things about being in sales is learning how to cold call. And so I would figure out who are people in the industry who I wanted to aspire to. And many times, I wouldn't get them to be my mentor, but they would find someone else like-minded who was close to them that wanted to work with people like me who were young in my career. And what I would tell you is, is then you also need to also be willing to be a mentor yourself. For instance, Gotta get uh, you. yeah, I'm going to be 57 years old in a few weeks. And I still have four people in my life who've been in my life for quite some time. One is newer, but three have been there for a long time who are my mentors. If I'm struggling with something ethically at work, hey, I want to ask you a question, you know, not just you, I'm going to call two other people, but here's something I've done at work and sales. And and while it's legal, I don't quite feel right about it. I just, I'd like to get your opinion. What's the precedence for something like this? How should, what do you think I should do in this situation? Most of the times when I'm calling my mentors, normally I'm dealing with my own career. What, What does Julian become next or what does he do? How does he progress? How do I learn how to take pain better to take insight from people who work with and for me? And the other one really is I go to my mentors when I'm mentoring other people, when I enter a stage with someone where I feel like we've reached a plateau or they've raised something to me that I haven't experienced yet. I'll call others. Hey, have you had an experience with this? I'm trying to help somebody with something. Mm -hmm. It's not something I've ever done before. What have you done in this situation? But by far the greatest thing greatest gift I've ever been given is to have great mentors in my life. You know, the guy I always call out first mm-hmm. is Paul Margolis. He's a former investor of mine in uh, my first startup as a startup CEO, where I made every mistake that startup CEOs make. And he was very direct, concise in my face with, you got to turn this around. And after about the third or fourth time, I realized it wasn't because he was beating me up. It was because he really cared for me. Yeah. And that then that then developed into the current mentor-mentee relationship that we have with one another and the friendship. So those things are important. Yeah, they definitely are. And I think about, for me, like Tom Heiser worked yep. for him twice at, at EMC and just a very dear friend and always somebody, Chris Lynn, somebody I more recently met. And man, he has given so much of his time to me. And he's a super busy bu- a guy, Bob Brennan, a, a former CEO of Veracode. You know, when you, you 
when you call those types of people and get the ground truth, they're not going to sugarcoat it to you. They're not going to tell you what you want to hear. They're going to tell you what right. you want to hear. Now, sometimes you and I, we're both alike in this. We probably haven't always followed their guidance to it. <laughs> you know, we, we've decided to do our own thing. But yeah, I think for our listeners, you got to look for those types of people and they equally be willing to give, give back to them. There'll be situations where they need our advice, but more importantly, when somebody calls you out of the blue, don't be so quick to go, oh, you know, I'm super busy. I can't do it. Like give back. It's, yeah, it, it is, if you absolutely pay it forward because it is, it's more about life than it is the money than many other things that we use to calculate is like, how can we help people? And, uh, you know, it's why I do this podcast. Uh, it's because I get to talk with great people like you, but more importantly, I get to help more people, you know, learn about, you know, what you've done and your successful track record. And that's, uh, you know, makes me feel good to be able to give back here. So awesome, my friend. Well, Julian, I knew you'd be a great guest and you were. You're also a great friend and thank you for being that. And I very much appreciate you taking the time today to be a part of the Executive Security Podcast. Gene, thank you. And by the way, you know, you've said a lot of great things about Rapid7 on this call. Everything I've ever heard about ThreadX since you've been the CEO has been absolutely positive. Your employees absolutely love working with you. You have a beautiful culture there. And every day I'm just waiting to hear the next great thing about what you're doing. So uh, you're not shabby yourself, my friend. (laughs) Thank you. I I appreciate those kind words. Well, have a great day. It's a Friday. So enjoy the rest of the Friday and have an awesome weekend. You do the same. 